If you have a Bible with you, uh, don't worry, if not, the words will appear on the screen here. Uh, then if you want to find the book of 1 Corinthians, which is sort of about halfway through your New Testament, towards the end of your Bible, um, you can Google it and find the verses as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, which is in uh, what we know as modern day Greece. He wrote two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and they're really helpful books in terms of Paul giving some uh, some theology, what we believe about God, but also some practical instructions of what church life should look like, of what the community of God, the people of God, the family of God, the church, about what some of the things they should they should practice, what, what their life together should look like. So we're going to look a little bit about that today because we're working through a series here talking about some of our vision and values, some of the things that are important to us at Liberty Church just in advance of us appointing some, uh, some men to be elders in the church later in the year and, and launching a bit more of a formal membership, uh, sort of joining the family process for the church as well. So we thought it'd be great just to teach through on Sundays here. Some values are important to us. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be uh, a, a, a people, a church, a family that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Liberty in the Spirit is the title of the the message today. So let me read just one verse from the start of 1 Corinthians 14, and then I'll pray. It says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let me pray. Jesus, we ask uh, right now that uh, whether uh, the people at home who are watching this live uh, with us in the room, they're watching us uh, this video on a Sunday morning or later in the week, catching up another time. We just pray that you'd speak, uh, that you'd speak today, uh, that you'd use what uh, you have in your word here just to, to help us to understand more of you, to know more of you and your love for us, to know more of your plans for your people, your church. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be working through all of this today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. At Liberty Church, we are a church of people that believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, some people might call, if you're from a Christian background, you might describe a church like ours as perhaps a a charismatic church or a spirit-filled church. People might use terms like continuationist, as in that they believe that the gifts of the Spirit, which talks about here in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Corinthians uh, 12, also in, in Romans 12, that those gifts are for today, that they haven't passed away uh, with the writers of the Bible, but they continue today, and that we get to practice them and use these spiritual gifts for the, the building up of the church, the blessing of the people of God. Um, perhaps the sort of church like ours, I remember when I was growing up at school, people would call it like a happy clappy sort of church. Perhaps we don't clap as much these days. But uh, perhaps we feel a bit different from perhaps what your stereotype of the church would be. But we're not trying to be necessarily clappy. Um, What we're trying to be is a people that are filled with the spirit of God. We want to seek the power of God in our lives. And we want to do do what it says in this verse here. Paul tells us to earnestly desire these things spiritual gifts, to be seeking and hungering after more of God, more of his activity in our hearts and lives together as a people, as a church. And that's what we want to talk about today. 
And there's lots of confusion and, and caution and concern over these subjects, particularly within the church, within the people of God. But a lot of that caution and confusion comes from the world around us. In the world around us, you'll find some people that want to seek, you know, uh, out-of-body experiences like transcendent moments that kind of lift them out of the pain and trouble of the here and now and take them onto like a higher plane. Whereas other people may be more rational. They want things to be considered and explained to have a clear scientific basis. Often people will hold both beliefs simultaneously over the same issues even. It can become very confusing. And sometimes that, those ways of thinking will infiltrate into the, into the church. That we end up uh, uh, in the church context in even Sunday gatherings seeking some kind of out-of-body experience. Something that will sort of remove us from who we are and give us a, some kind of mystical moments. Or perhaps we, we, what, what we get ex excited is, is, is studying the word in a really kind of forensic, detailed way uh, and in a very thorough way and wanting to kind of rationally explain and explore everything in this book. But the reality of the Christian faith is we believe in a God who is both transcendent, he's other from us, he's very different from us, he's a holy, powerful, almighty God. We believe in a, in, a, in a Jesus who died for us, but then was risen and ascended and rules in heaven over the earth right now. But we also believe in a God who's, who's imminent, who's near, who's with us. Jesus Christ is our Emmanuel, God with us. That he stepped down to be amongst his people and then he sent the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit to live amongst us. So we can know Jesus we can know the transcendent, all-powerful God, but we can know him personally in our, in our hearts. And that we can understand, that we can study, that we can explore, that we can get into this book and not sort of throw our brains out the door when we come into church, but use our brains, use what God's given us to discover more of him. And what we want to do is we want to be a church that we don't learn what it is to be a Christian from what experiences that the world might seek after, but we want to be a church that seeks after the kingdom of God, his plans for us. And what it means to be a church that's full of the Holy Spirit, well, a few things to say introduction to that. First of all, in, in the book of Romans, it's pretty clear in, uh, in Romans chapter eight, it says the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, means the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. He's come to make his home in you. That's something that happens when we become Christians. The Holy Spirit says it pretty clearly here. He dwells within us. And if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, then we can't call ourselves, we can't call ourselves Christians. He's in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us talks about in 1 Corinthians, uh, in earlier on in 1 Corinthians, that he's made his temple. We don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go on to pilgrimage to a special place, to a special building, to find uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need to do some kind of Indiana Jones exploration. God has sent his temple amongst the people of God, the church. When we gather together, the spirit of Christ is with us. We are together, the dwelling place of God. Again, it talks about in Romans, 
that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, perhaps the primary thing that the Holy Spirit does is he, he makes Jesus come alive in our hearts. He tells us, he, he witnesses to our spirit, he tells our very inner being, our core, who Jesus is. See, the Holy Spirit isn't somehow kind of divorced from God, from the work of Jesus, but in the Trinity there, there's a togetherness, a unity, that they're, they're one together, one God in three persons. So when we come to the Holy Spirit, he's not somehow kind of lesser or other or different from Jesus or the Father. But what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's pointing us to the work of Jesus, to the wonder of the relationship that we can have with him now. And what that will result in when the Holy Spirit fills us and is in us is it will result in more and more, first of all, more and more Christ-likeness that will become more like Jesus. So there's the Holy Spirit that's within us, transforming us little by little. He's growing his fruit within us all the time. And one of the wonderful things is, is that we can actually, we can actually ask day by day, week by week, we can ask for more of God for more of the Holy Spirit. It says it really clearly in Ephesians chapter five, it says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it means that in, a, in an ongoing way, in a, in a present continuous to keep coming back to God and asking for more of the Holy Spirit in his life. A book that you might find helpful is this book called More by Simon Ponsonby which talks about a lot of what we're trying to talk about today, what it is to have a hunger for more of God, for more of the Spirit in your own life, but also in the church family. And he says this about being filled with the Spirit. He says it is a constantly repeatable, deepening experience of God's Spirit who brings a greater revelation of the person and work of Christ, a blazing love for Christ, a greater and more effective, empowering witness to Christ and a transforming conformity to the character of Christ. And that's, I'm sure that's what we all, if you're a Christian, you're watching this, that's what we all desire. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to know more of his blazing love in our hearts. And the best way to do that is to come and ask and say, would you fill me again? I need more of you. Holy Spirit, come fill me. Come help me to see more of Jesus. Come help me to follow you. Come help me to live for you. I need you. Come help me to tell my friends and family about you. And the Holy Spirit will come and do all of that in your life. But what I want us to particularly focus on today is uh, not so much what it means for us personally, individually, although that's important. We'll loop back to that at the end. But what does it mean for us as a church? Why is it one of our key values? Why is being a church that's filled with the Spirit? What does that mean for us? I've got six pointers that will help us. First of all, we want to be a church that desires more of the Holy Spirit. To be a, a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to be a church that desires, that earnestly desires, as it says in that verse we read, more of God. We want to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts that work in our life. We have time to unpack each of them. You can read 1 Corinthians 12. That'd be a good place to start to get into them yourself. But it's things like preaching, teaching, like what I'm doing right now. It's things like hospitality, opening up your home, welcoming people in and telling them about Jesus. It's things like, like helping people, serving people, 
It's things like prophecy, which we'll talk a little bit more about. There's lots of different gifts that you can, you can read about. But it doesn't say to us, you know, cautiously explore. Uh, you know, read a few books, carefully study, or that can be important, and make a, a, a sort of slow, stales-like kind of, or oh, maybe we should try this out, but let's let's just be a bit cautious with it. Let's just not not run too too fast. It says earnestly desire. When you set your heart on something, when there's something that you're really passionate about, you know, in a, in a relationship with your if your husband and wife, you don't say, oh, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm going to cautiously explore the love for my wife. You, you, you earnestly desire them. You're passionate about them. And I want to be, for myself and for us as a church, I want us to be the sort of people that earnestly desire the spiritual gifts that seek out more. And Paul doesn't just say this once. He says it at the end of chapter 12. He says it at the start of chapter 14. At the end of chapter 14, he tells us to earnestly desire especially that you may prophesy. He's so keen that we hear that message. It's important to us. Number two, we believe that these spiritual gifts, these grace gifts, you might call them gifts of grace from Jesus to his church, are for a purpose. They're, they're for the building up of the church. If you go through the rest of 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to jump in and out of it a little bit today. He says things like, in verse 3, he says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding or for their building up, for their encouragement, for their consolation or, or, or their comfort. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to do. They're supposed to build up. They're supposed to encourage, to literally put courage within us, to console us or comfort us. And if they're not doing that, you have to question really what they're there for. Is that really the Spirit of God at work if it's discouraging you? If it's not building you up, but it's pushing you down, if it's crushing you, if it's not comforting you, but actually making you feel guilty or embarrassed or ashamed, then that might be not the spirit of God at all at work, but something quite, quite different. And we want to see gifts that build up and not just build up an individual, but they're for the blessing of the church, for the body. They strengthen us as a body together. We're going to talk about that next week from the book of Romans, what it means to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ it sometimes needs to do some weightlifting to build up its muscles, to strengthen up. And the spiritual gifts will do that. Prophecy will strengthen the body of Christ. Teaching, preaching will strengthen the body of Christ. Serving, hospitality will strengthen us, will grow us. It's one way that we minister the grace of God to each other. It's one way that the grace of God becomes tangible, becomes real, that it doesn't just become words that we say, but it becomes something that we do, that we act out using these wonderful gifts. And it's something that's very much, as it says here, we, we should pursue love. These things are driven by love. If they're not full of love, if you're trying to use them to manipulate people, if you're trying to use them out of some kind of vengeance or bitterness, then again, you've got, it, you've got it wrong. They should come out of a place of love for God and love for one another. John Wimber, who was a, a famous preacher who founded a whole family of churches called the Vineyard Movement, wonderful man of God, he said, he said this about spiritual gifts. He said, the test of spiritual maturity is not the ability to speak in tongues, prophesy, 
or memorize scriptures. It's the ability to love God and others. Using all these gifts doesn't make you mature. They're, they're gifts to us. What makes us mature is growing in the fruit of the spirit, growing in patience, kindness, gentleness, of love for one another, of love for Jesus Christ. So these gifts are for the building up of the church. And thirdly, we, we want to gather together and use these gifts to, to help us to worship in spirit and in truth. When we gather on a, on a Sunday, it's so important. Uh, I know many of us have been so frustrated that the last 18 months has been difficult for us to gather. Uh, even now, over the last six months, we've only been able to gather you know, every now and again, not as regularly as we would all like. And the book of Hebrews encourages us to gather Regularly, it's, it's a, a good weekly practice to strengthen you, to gather with the people of God. I'd encourage us all to get back into the habit of doing it over the months ahead as we're able, as we're able to. But when we gather together, when the, the worship band strike up a song, when whoever's hosting the meeting stands up to pray over us, or whoever's preaching the Bible stands up and starts talking to us, none of that's about performance. It's really not at all. It's, it's part of us as a body together, worshipping and enjoying God together. It talks about in, uh, later on in 1 Corinthians in 14 verse 26, when, it says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In Ephesians Five, it says that we should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this picture that Paul paints. He's trying to get us to see what the church is supposed to be like when we gather together, what our meetings are supposed to be like. And they're not supposed to be of a performance, of a stage, of... Of, of, of people who are somehow above or other or different that we just watch, that entertain us. But when we come together, we come for each other. That's so perhaps a good question to ask yourself. Why do you, why do you come to church? Um, I'm asking this particularly to Christians that you're watching. If you're not a Christian, you pro probably say, well, I'm just exploring and that's okay. You're really welcome. Please keep exploring. But if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, why do you come to church? Do you come just for yourself? Just for some entertainment? Because I think that's probably not, you've probably misunderstood what it's supposed to be like. When we come to church, we come, first of all, we're coming because we want to meet with Jesus. Not just learn about him, but actually meet with him, as we were talking about last week. But we also come to serve one, to build one another up, to bless one another. And that might work in all sorts of different ways. A really practical way that I think all of us can do is most Sundays we'll make a moment opportunity where we'll share communion together and we'll break the bread and take the wine or the little disposable COVID-friendly cup. And that's a great opportunity to use spiritual gifts to bless one another, to pray with one another. You might have just a simple word of encouragement. You might just want to read a scripture over a brother or sister. You might want to say, what's, tell me what's going on in your life. How can I pray for you? And just stand with them in, in prayer. That's a really simple, obvious way we can help to encourage and serve one another. We could talk about that loads more, and perhaps we should get back to all of that in another occasion. But 
One question, to st another question to help you on this subject of our kind of worship, our Sunday meetings together is, is, is how are you preparing yourself for church? Do you just sort of rock up, which is fine, you're very welcome to. But one thing we've tried to get into the habit of in our family is, is praying before we come to church. I don't mean it's not some mega kind of prayer time where we're all kind of fasting on our needs for hours on end. It will often just be on the way to church. Uh, me and Joe, with our, with our children, will just, we'll just kind of go around the car and each take a moment just to pray for the service. And it's all over in a minute or two. And sometimes it descends into, into chaos, but we try and do it each week just to help prepare our hearts that we come to church ready to hear from God. Maybe God will give us something to share with another brother or with the whole family. Next point for us is that we want to be a welcoming community. That for a church, a people that's full of the Holy Spirit, we want to be welcoming to people who don't know Jesus, to people from all sorts of different faith stages for the person that's been a mature follow Jesus for years and years and years and years for the person who's maybe you're just you're new to this you know maybe you've done an alpha course and you're just here just trying to figure out what it is you just open up your bible just trying to make sense of it all maybe you just stumbled in off the street or onto youtube to find us today and you know nothing of any of this we want the church to be a place where everybody feels at home no matter what background you're from and that part of that means is that we don't want to cause confusion. We don't want to be chaotic. Sometimes people can have an impression in their head that to be a church that's full of the spirit means, yeah, let's let chaos reign. Like everything's just going to be spontaneous. We're just, it's going to be this wonderful kind of messy, who knows what's going to happen, crazy time. But Paul's pretty clear in this passage. He says, uh, well, he says right at the end of it, all things should be done decently and in order. He says uh, in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And we want to try and build a context where, although I'm, we don't want our meetings to be normal, because in a sense, coming together to worship God isn't normal. Well, it's not normal compared to lots of other meetings and things that would happen across the city. When we gather together to worship Jesus, it should be different from a group of people meeting in a cafe or from a business meeting, or for a, a group of people having a barbecue in the park or whatever. Our meetings should be different, but at the same time, we want to create a space where people don't get scared off or confused or freaked out by, whoa, this is just so intense. What's going on here? Why is that person speaking a language that no one seems to understand? What's going on? We want our services to be places of peace, where people can discover God in their own way. Uh, in their own time, uh, an environment where the Holy Spirit can really do his thing, can really minister to us, really be at work. To be a church full of the Spirit doesn't mean chaos. Sometimes it can mean things are quite orderly. There's nothing wrong with liturgy to help people guide through a service can sometimes be really helpful. Number five, we want to be a church where we're eager to hear from God. That's what he says at the start of this passage that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We want to desire that. We want to be a people that hear from God. And primarily, we're all going to hear through God through his word speaking to us. But also, we believe that God can speak to us prophetically in lots of different ways. And now, obviously, we should, we should test that and any prophecy, all the spiritual gifts, they're all 
subordinate. They're all, they're all subject to scripture. It says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecy. Paul knew that it's very easy to despise it because it can, can go wrong. But he says, do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Some of it will be bad. You can ignore it. We prophesy in part, but some of it will be good. Test it. And the main way to test it is to bring it. Is this in line with scripture? Does, is this, if, if it's against the Bible, then throw it out straight away. You can test it against that verse in verse three of chapter 14. Does it build me up? Does it encourage me? Does it comfort me? If it does, does those things, then yes, you can hold fast to it. It's, it's good. It will, it will do you good. And there are, there are lots of, uh, of different ways you could explain prophecy. Perhaps a simple way is to talk about forthtelling and foretelling. So there's foretelling, which is uh, the majority of what prophecy will be, which very simply is coming alongside a brother or sister and just speaking the truth of God into their life. And it might be a particular verse that someone's given you. Um, you can do that via, you know, via WhatsApp. You can send someone a voice message or just type them, here's a verse. I just felt God laid this verse on my heart for you. The number of times I've been encouraged when brothers and sisters have sent me that sort of thing. Or on a Sunday morning, just get alongside someone and just, just pray the love of God over them. Um, and you don't have to feel a sort of prophetic urging to do it. Just, just do it. Just every Sunday, find someone and pray the love of God over them. And as you do that, you'll often find the number of times that's happened and someone said, oh yeah, I was, I was reading that verse earlier today. Or yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's just what was on my heart. And that's the majority of prophecy is this sort of foretelling is just speaking the truth of God into someone's life. Of, 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 it's, it's like a gift of encouragement. It just puts courage in people. It means people walk out of the room feeling 10 meters taller, feeling, feeling like a giant because they've just been built up by the word of God. Perhaps the minority of prophecy is what we might call foretelling, as in literally helping people to, uh, uh, might, God might give you something for someone that will help them to understand what God has for them in the future. A good example would be for Joe and I moving here to Amsterdam seven years ago. God began the journey about three years before that. We were away together at a, uh, a conference with lots of other Christians. And within the space of 24 hours, three different people, two came up to me, one to Joe, and said to us, I believe God's calling you to move to mainland Europe outside of, uh, of, of Great Britain, where we were living at the time, to be involved in planting churches. And when God, when three different people all say the same thing, you think maybe God's trying to say something. And one of them, he said to me, uh, as a sign that God's going to do this in your life, that he's going to bring this change into your life. He said, you're going to start finding coins on the floor. Like in England, you call them change, like the change from you give someone a, a banknote and they give you the coins, the change. He said, you're going to start finding change everywhere because God's going to bring change into your life. And all of a sudden, over the next probably six months, year or so, I began to find not just one or two, but hundreds and hundreds of coins. Everywhere I went, I'd be walking down the road and, oh, there's another coin. Just pennies, pounds, uh, coins everywhere. It was great. <laughs> we had a great, great time just finding all this money. Uh, it's a bit of a weird example, but sometimes God works in ways that are unusual. But that, those prophetic words just helped Joe and I to make some big decisions about our future. And when we were here, it gave us certainty that God had spoken to us, that he'd given us a purpose and a plan here.
I know that's a big subject that there may be many questions about. Uh, please feel free to come and quiz us and ask, and we'd love to tell you more about how the gift of prophecy works. Finally, number six, I know I've gone on for a little bit. We, we wanna be a church, as we said at the top, that we're hungry for more of God. And we're hungry for more of his love in our life. You know, the, the burning desire of the Holy Spirit, what he's really passionate about doing is glorifying Jesus and helping us to experience more of God. And perhaps the main way he does that is, is described in that verse I read from Romans 8 earlier on, where it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Of children of God. That's perhaps the main way the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. The main way you will experience him is he helps you in the trial. All of us from time to time will find that there's a trial in our heart where we feel condemned or anxious, afraid, when we're aware of our failure, of our sin. And the devil, he's known in the Bible as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He'll throw accusations against you. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. You've, you've let God down. God doesn't love you anymore, or he loves you a bit less, or you have to work a bit harder to earn back some favor with God. And what the Holy Spirit does in this trial, if you imagine yourself in a courtroom with someone trying to give this harsh evidence against you, the Holy Spirit stands up as a witness. That's what he does. He's a witness in the courtroom of your heart. And he'll tell you, he'll tell your spirit that you are a child of God that you're a child of God. That's what he's witnessing to you all the time. In, in the book of uh, Galatians, it puts it like this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you're sons of daughters, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He bears witness of the love of God and he cries within you, Abba, Father. He reminds you of your adoption, that you're a son, a daughter of the living God. He goes on to say, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's the main way the Holy Spirit will be at work in your life. The main way he'll be at work in us as a church is being a witness to our hearts that Jesus loves us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you for everyone watching this right now, uh, that they would just know you at work in them. They know the spirit of Jesus just coming to their life right now. Perhaps they've never prayed that prayer before that it encourages this too in Ephesians 5, but I just pray you'd help people to call out to you right now and, and ask Holy Spirit that you'd come and fill them again and that as you come and fill them, you'd come and bear a witness in the trial in their hearts. If they have any accusations that are coming against them, any fear or doubts or worries, we pray the Holy Spirit would come and bring boldness. The Holy Spirit would come and bring courage and faith. The Holy Spirit would come and bear witness that they're adopted into your family as sons and daughters, that they're no longer slaves, but co-heirs with Christ. Pray the Holy Spirit would be at work in all of us right now, powerfully we ask. And we pray that those spiritual gifts would
burst into life in our church family, that we'd be seeking to encourage, bless, and serve one another again and again. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.